Welcome back to Common Fan Commentary. It's been a while. I am your host, Adam. I got Ryan with me today. How you doing, Ryan? Hey, honestly, just glad to be back. It's been a little bit, and I'm just itching, itching to talk about some sports. A lot of recent summer news, especially on the soccer front, on the heels of last year's crazy transfer sagas that happened. I mean, with Messi going to PSG, Kylian Mbappe news, so much happened last summer. I feel like a lot of it just bled into this summer. Yeah, and honestly, the weird part is, is like, you know, coming out of last year, I was I was interested to see like how a lot of these teams, how aggressive they'd be, you know, with because I felt like last summer was more so marked by like all this financial hardship of, you know, post COVID and what can we really do? And then I've been very surprised this offseason to see really a lot of a lot of clubs open up the checkbook. We're recording this uh, after the weekend of the first weekend of Premier League. A lot of interesting results, a lot of new faces making their debuts. The one that I want to point to as the hallmark signing that everyone should be terrified of this year is Manchester City picking up Erling Holland from Dortmund. That man is going to score at will. It's going to be around 100 goals. I'm jealous. Like, <laughs> for, for, for lack of better words, you know, that, you know, because that team is so good. And, you know, I felt like one thing, though, was looking at kind of what depth they lost, what depth they traded away. And they're putting a lot of faith in young guys. But I think they put their faith in the right striker because, you know, as much as I want to sit here and say, ah, oh, you know, I don't know if he's cut out for the Premier League or, you know, I don't know if he'll be able to handle the physicality. I mean, watching him through preseason and then, you know, thus far in the first game, Game. I'm excited to see how he lines up against some of the more premier center backs in the Prem because it, it looks like it's going to be a tough, tough day for defenses. I mean, that was the only piece that was missing out of Manchester City from taking you know the trip, the quadruple was yeah. the fact that they didn't have a reliable guy up front. They were missing their Sergio Aguero, and mm-hmm. now they have one who's even younger, even better and is incredibly tall. <laughs> so crossing it into the box and heading it is going to be no issue for this team, which is terrifying because Kevin De Bruyne is not slowing down. They yeah. got rid of ancillary pieces like Raheem Sterling so that they can actually focus on developing Phil Foden into the superstar yeah. he is. Man City is just going to be a force to be reckoned with this year, and I think that they're the easy favorites for almost every league. I think the thing that's the most disheartening is like, this is what I like to point out, though, because as much as they're investing on, you know, because I love their defenders, you know, Ake, Cancelo, I'll say Cancelo, honestly, he's he is becoming an absolute master class on the right or left side. That's something that I've continued to see his development in, in the first week of the Prem. Like he looks like a definite problem on their on their wings, you know, but my thing is still like Mares, Graylish. Bernardo Silva, Rodri, those were people that we they weren't forced to do much over the last few years. I'm excited to see as the season progresses, as everything pans out, you know, those were guys who weren't playing every day. De Bruyne was, for sure. Gundogan was, for sure. But for the most part, that midfield is, it's going to take some gelling. And I honestly have yet to be impressed with Jack Grealish at City. I mean, he only costs like 100 million euros. So he does have a pretty high bar to fill. At the same time, like last season, who is he going to start in front of? You're going to start in front of Bernardo Silva, a Phil Foden who was playing out of his mind for a bit there. Yeah, and Foden's honestly the most exciting part because, you know, that's that dude's legit. I think that over the last few years, I've been trying to find chinks in the armor at, at Man City, and they just continue to bring this talent that uh, really just turns into to world-class talent. I mean, honestly, too, you got you to gotta credit Pep for that. I mean, he's, he's an absolute world-class manager. 
but do you agree with the fact that would he be as good if he didn't spend two hundred million per transfer window? <laughs> Tough to say. I, I think he no I, matter where he was, when he was at Bayern, when he was at Barcelona, when he was at Man City, like he's always had the spending to be able to go after whatever player he wants to fit into his system. It's easy to say, or it's easy to, I guess, plant that question, but we've seen a lot of managers move around in the last few years that had that luxury that they couldn't do anything with it. You know, the Ancelotti in in PSG and seeing how Tottenham has filtered through coaches before finally landing on Conte to take a more permanent role. And even then, you know, they were kind of hesitant to allow him to spend, uh, you know, up until kind of this window. And so, I, I don't know, I think you can point to a lot of different managers that, you know, have switched leagues, have switched teams, and they've had the spending and just haven't been able to piece together a system. So, I mean, uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to watch like the Arsenal All or Nothing. But like to hear how Arteta talks about the way Pep manages the roster, the insight that he was given on how to be a, a Premier League manager, it's wild to hear kind of like that next level of what Pep is actually good at. I'm not one to contest how good of a manager and coach he is, you know, second half adjustments or training his players to fit his scheme. He's world class. I mean, he's one of the best in the world at it. I was just wondering what you thought about this argument. But at the same time, he does get the luxury of being able to spend however sure. unlimited money. If he wants a guy, he can he can go get him. Oh, for sure. Except it's, maybe it's Mark Cucarella, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> so the only team that I see challenging Man City legitimately for the Premier League this year is a healthy Liverpool. But yeah. This summer, they lost Sadio Mane, their second leading mm -hmm. scorer behind Mo Salah. And then they replaced him with Luis Diaz last January. Next, The next Luis Suarez, allegedly, is uh, Darwin Nunez. So what do you make of Darwin Nunez? And will he be on par with the Erling Holland signing? I think yes and no. Listen, I think Holland's still going to provide you more volume. Um you know, but it's it's cool to see. I kind of think the the next evolution in what Liverpool does because uh, you know I think they are not quite as aggressive in tapering that young talent or training that young talent because for the most part they have kept a you know somewhat aged lineup they still have henderson in there um, you know van dyke he's getting a little older he's by by no means is he old and then a lot of the midfield you know they kept solid they kept uh, bobby Firmino, and so i felt like you know they didn't do too much to revitalize but at the same time the young talent they did bring in i love diaz i think that dude is he's got an, a, an incredible touch and i think what he'll do on the wing will be you know, something that in the prim will cause a lot of problems over the years. Nunez, on the other hand, I have a lot of faith there just because I, I really want him to be good. But I, I think I had a little bit more hesitation just because Mane was able to make a difference not only in pace, uh, but just kind of finesse on the wing out there. Like he, he was a polished winger. And Nunez, uh, he's a young guy, and they play different roles. That's why I don't really think you can compare them hand-in-hand hand because it's it's really two different kind of people because Nunez is someone who's going to fill the middle of the box. He, We've already seen it, aerial threat now, you know, with Liverpool. And honestly, I think that's something they'd been missing because, you know, outside of set pieces, uh, Liverpool's aerial threat wasn't, you know, anything more than... Uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so to have a to have a forward in there now that is much more present and makes an aerial threat, it's something you love to see. And uh, I think they'll once again, I think you're right, though, you know, in your total assessment, I think they're the only team that realistically trip. I think they're really the only the only team that realistically, you know, rivals City in the in the title race. The one thing that bothers me about the Darwin signing is the comparison to the Holland signing. Where Holland has Champions League experience, that's where he first blew up, was with RB yeah. Salzburg. He scored, he led the entire Champions League in goal scored, even though they got eliminated before the knockout rounds. Right. And then with Dortmund, he didn't really slow down. Had a little bit of trouble staying on the field for all of their games, but not as much as Darwin, who had two knee surgeries at 23 right. years old. So the fact that they're getting comparisons makes a lot of sense. But I think that the Holland signing make is going to be ultimately much grander in the scheme of the entire Premier League history. I think we'll be talking about the Holland one way more than the Darwin one. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Well, I mean, like you said, they, it's just a, it's the hallmark of the player. Like, you know, that, that Holland signing is just much more different because you're right. There's just so much more experience there. He's a clinical goal striker. He's much more proven. Um, but at the same time, it's very much more Man man United, or excuse me, Man City-esque because, you know, I, I do think that uh, what we've seen through Klopp's time is Klopp does like to get these players at a young age and, and develop them into the player he wants them to be. And, you know, Holland kind of already had that luxury of being developed, tested by fire in, in the Champions League. And I think that takes is a little bit more towards what Pep wants to see. You know, I think that it kind of speaks to what you were saying earlier about his plans in the transfer window and investing in, you know, much more money and more seasoned players. And, you know, the, the price tag difference wasn't like a, a enormous there, but at the same time, I think it does suit the Man City, how would you say, system versus Liverpool. And But I think that that signing of Nunez does exactly what they want and it fits how they develop players. I do think it is interesting how the team itself doesn't feel as deep as it once was. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. I feel like the signings they've made have been all very youth depth, which isn't the same. Um, it's good, good, good to build for your future. But at at present, if they have a big injury on their starting eleven, they're going to be taking a huge step back. Yeah, it's not going to be easy. And, you know, but that was that was what I liked about like Luis Diaz, because, you know, we saw that last year because they weren't, you know, they weren't healthy all year. But this year, you know, they, they did bring in uh, Fabio Cravalho as well, a midfielder where I think they needed to add someone. And because I mean, we've already seen it, you know, Diago's already hurt. I think I read today he's going to be out uh, five weeks after, you know, week one. You know, you're going to be you're going to be relying on on your Diego Jotas. You're going to be relying on, uh, you know, Luis Diaz is and, and some of these auxiliary the Kanate, you know i mean he's a defender but still you know you're going to be relying on more people than than your household names and i think that'll be fun too because they also have some younger players too you know curtis jones and oh there's one more i'm forgetting that as a younger dude on their roster but um yeah yeah and it's a very uh, british name i know that (laughs) right right And so it's like, you know, we'll see how they do it. But Klopp is is kind of he's a little bit different from from Pep in a sense that like, I feel like when you don't know what's going on with that team, that's when they're the most dangerous. You know, that's how they were two years ago. You wasn't sure a lot of what was going on and they brought in new players in and out. And, you know, they ended up being one of the best sides in the world. And so I'm excited to see if he can recreate some of that with some of the young guys. And then also, you know, letting the Mane's of the world go. But at the same time, like Mane wasn't a piece. Like, I think if you really evaluated the front three situation there, Bobby and uh, Mo Salah and Mane, I, I still think, you know, what it meant to the club, I think Salah and Bobby mean a lot more than than Mane did. 
Yeah, it was interesting because uh, I definitely saw Firmino coming off the bench a lot last year. So mm-hmm. the fact that they are essentially securing his replacement while he's still on the team, it makes a lot of sense. He's less of a, a number nine now, and he can honestly, I think mm-hmm. he'd be much more powerful as like a number 10 behind the I agree. Striker, that striker. You know, producing a lot more creativity into the front lines. And I think that that's what they now have the flexibility to do with their front three. Like, with the fact that you can rotate Jota, Firmino, uh, Luis Diaz, Nunez, Sala, like, you know, I don't think Sala will see much rotation, but, like, those other four guys, like, you can really change the the front look of how you want to play and how you're approaching, you know, setting up your offense. And so, for them, I think it gives them more flexibility. I think, if anything, they kind of remind me of what Man City was last year, where they've got a lot of talent in a lot of places where they can be active at subs, they can be active at, you know, 60 minute changes and turn the game on its head based upon some of the athleticism and some of the talent they can bring in. So you mentioned Liverpool is more of a club that you're not sure what you're getting quite yet. Yeah. Um, so speaking of clubs where you have no idea what you're getting, uh, that great segue, I know. Um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about uh, our friendly club, Barcelona, <laughs> who have probably had the most, the most news coverage out of a club that has lost one of the most transcendent talents, they've been in the news more this summer than when they lost their greatest soccer player of all time. So since COVID and at the end of 2021, they reported that they were $1.3 billion in debt. Yet this past summer, they have been on a spending spree, if you will, in the transfer market, adding Julius Koundé, Rafinha, Robert Lewandowski, getting Frank Kessier on a free, Andres Christensen on a free, rumored to Bernardo Silva. So one might ask, how, how does a team that is so in debt, financially insolvent, afford all those players? The answer is they don't. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, the only, team this, the only thing this team should be receiving is, is sanctions. Like... I don't I don't know how, but um they've got to somehow because like it just doesn't make sense. Like if you look at the the people that left the club this year, they only sold two people. One of them was Curtinho and technically he left, you know, kind of on loan last year and then they ended up selling him. But like, you know, you had uh twenty five million in the door or out the door, excuse me, and then in the door one hundred and sixty eight million. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so actually it's estimated total market value of arrivals closer to three hundred and eighteen million based on some of the people that came for free. <laughs> also <laughs> but it's like wait a second what the adding of Rafinha of Lewandowski and you can't even forget that like last year they got Obama Yang to sign and so and they paid for that I don't really I don't get it man they sold like a good amount of like I think it was their broadcasting and and Spotify rights or whatever and right. and I was like okay you know I, I see how they're getting some money but I mean, this just year in and year out has been one of the worst financially managed clubs in the world. And I don't know how they continue to do it year in, year out, because it's not like they're like really competing. Last year, they didn't really always put their best foot forward. And honestly, the club looked in, in shambles a lot of the times. And so I think it'll be interesting to see see what happens. But it, it just blows me away. It blows me away that they can still afford players. The way that they can spend this, I guess, is the big question is how can they spend this much money being owing that much money to the bank. So they've sold, you mentioned the TV rights, they sold those and they had a system of about five more financial levers that they could pull, as they call it. Uh, really? They really like the term lever. It makes it seem like it's a doomsday thing and you're like pulling it during DEFCOM 1. Yeah. <laughs> so at this point, they have now pulled the fourth lever this past week 
in an attempt to try to banish La Liga, will not let them register their new signings <laughs> until they can be consistent with the rules of the league. Whereas you can only report a certain amount of losses and still purchase a certain amount of players to re register said players. So that means right now, Rafinha's not on the squad. Koundé's not on the squad. Lewandowski's not on the squad. So until they can figure that out, they cannot register those signings yet. So they've pulled a fourth lever to sell even more percentage of their club rights. The TV rights and Spotify deal was the first lever. <laughs> that was the first lever? That was My the God. first one. <laughs> that felt a lot like lever four or five. Right. Even while they're doing this, a great player in Frankie de Jong, who offered to defer his wages during COVID so that they the club can figure its finances out, they're trying to force him out. I saw that. Because, I, feel, I feel so bad because for him. Because he currently has $17 million in deferred wages that they, have, that they owe Frankie de Jong. And it's not like they're just trying to force him out. They said, listen, we're going to restructure everything because not only have you been a, a player in this game, like, you know, offering to defer wages, things like that. But uh, we think that the deal that got you here was uh, illegally forced by the old board. And right. I was like, wait, what? I felt so bad that, for the no, guy. No, absolutely not. He, 20, he's also like a 25 year old. So like his Barcelona move was his first huge deal. And they also owe him 16 million in loyalty bonuses if they try to move him. The fact that... Ugh. You know, Man United is offering to pay all that, and he still doesn't want to go. Says something about Man United. But and when do we get to talk about them? <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, I, I really need a laugh this week, so we'll definitely get there. So I just without De Jong, the club is still on their fourth lever out of five, and then they're also they just announced PK is taking a second significant pay cut within a calendar year. My God. Busquets is offering to take a pay cut to try to help the club register their signings that they spent a bunch of money to get. Yep. So this is their proposal to their most recent proposal to La Liga to register the signings that they just bought. And Aside honestly, like, from this financial insolvency, the signings are actually great players. I think they actually got decent deals for those players, but the financial turmoil that they're in makes it seem like pretty idiotic moves. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you look at it, like, let's think about how many, like, you could just isolate the centered forward position alone, and even or even the front three. <laughs> In, like, the last two years, we've seen the likes of Adama Traore, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, uh, Aguero signed there for a little bit, Martin uh, Memphis Depay. Yeah, Martin <laughs> Braithwaite, like, and then on top of that, now Lewandowski, like, it is just an absolute revolving door on the front, like, the attacking front there, and then not only that, like, you know, these are huge names, and it's not like any of these are being done on, like, incredible business, you know, they're not, they're not turning profits, and so, you know, it's a club that I, I kind of feel bad for the, the people that have been there for the longest, the, like you said, the Busquets, the PKs, because, like, you know, they were once the club in, in the world, and so, to see kind of where they're at now, you know, they'll be fine, and I think that speaks to kind of the, the strength of La League, I mean, they'll, they'll still finish top four over there, I don't really find that to be in question but at the same time like you know you do feel bad for the likes of de Jong, kind of a bombing you know he was a i loved him in arsenal even though he wasn't great for us and um you know I, I wanted to see him go somewhere and be successful and now they're already talking about selling him to chelsea and i'm just like wow <laughs> like poor guy it's just a club that there's you know along with the financial turmoil i feel like there's just a good amount of club culture turmoil that uh, is still the case and they have to defeat i mean they, they were a club that assumed that they were too big to fail 
And then mm-hmm. COVID really tested them on that. You could tell that they were thinking, oh no, we just did a lot of spending on high name transfers that I'm going to read three of them that stick out to me a lot because the combined transfer spending of these three players was $380 million. God. Yeah, right. These three spendings and then Messi just put this whole club in a tailspin that it's going to be ugly to get out of it, hence the De Jong situation. So it's Antoine Griezmann, which on its own, great player for Atletico Madrid at the time. But when they made that signing, they already had their front three sealed. Oh, yeah. They had Suarez, they had Messi, and then they had Ansu Fati and or Ousmane Dembele, which is the Mm -hmm. second player on this list. (laughs) (laughs) Who has not completed a full season with the club since he signed from Dortmund. And then the third is easiest one is Coutinho, where they loaned him to Bayern. Coutinho won the Champions League with Bayern, and because of a clause in his contract that if he wins the Champions League, they had to pay money to Liverpool. <laughs> and wait, what team did Bayern beat 8-2 to with Coutinho oh, playing, man. scoring a goal in that game? Oh, man. They were playing Barcelona. <laughs> Talk about pain. Should have talked about pain. <laughs> but honestly, it's a club that I, I don't mind seeing the shambles. They're the I think that I was kinda in the same boat about uh Man City. Like they're kinda like that's how they operate now, too big to fail. And like but the thing is is like I've been surprised to see their business practices just, just be so sound and that's just something that you're not seeing out of Barcelona. And <laughs> yeah, honestly I'm glad you isolated those three signings because it really is. That's where that's where all the turmoil started. It was just hubris, really, is they think that they can just continue to make really just bonkers signings, <laughs> and then they think that there won't be any consequences. Well, and also, I think, you know, after Messi, like, it's hard to decide, like, what shape your club takes, you know, when you lose that kind of just influence on the pitch. Like, I think they were kind of in, in you know, shambles because, you know, they had just lost Neymar, too. And which, mind you, that was on a huge transfer. So that should have covered a lot of, you know, what they ended up losing. But it covered about um, like one and a half of Griezmann and Coutinho. That's just, that's absurd. <laughs> imagine that as a, as a club owner, imagine that. Like someone telling you, hey, um, you can sell Neymar and guess what? You're going to replace him with Griezmann and Coutinho. And like, what? No. <laughs> that club's been been in turmoil ever since he left. And I don't think there's, I just, I always point to it. It's an identity thing. I mean, we talk about sports a lot, Adam, you know, on this podcast, outside of the podcast. This and like, true. you know, you look <laughs> at like facts. some of the teams we follow, right. You know, the Baylors of the world, the, I follow Arsenal, you know, and, and it's, it's a culture thing. Like when you see clubs go through a rebuild, like you're not only shifting around players, but you're shifting around the culture and, you know, post Messi, I think that's where you had to do a complete reset. You know, you had the young guys there, Fati and, and some other players and like, you know, just completely rededicate. And so the purchasing of like top flight talent, like, to kind of rebuild a culture like i just don't think that was the way to do it and it, honestly it's the same thing going on at man U. like I, I just don't think that's the way to do it what you said about barcelona kind of enjoying this i have a sick feeling too whenever i see news about them whenever i see can't register new signings it, i get a, a sick little smirk on my face because um, <laughs> i'm twisted that way i guess but mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it is nice to see people who, who you thought were invincible squirm a bit and yep. 
kind of hope that it takes a little bit more for them to get out of the situation that right. they dug themselves. Like if it continues, I'm I'm not mad. <laughs> <laughs> like if yeah, if Lewandowski can't ever play for Barcelona, then as a Bayern fan, I won't be sweating. And as you mentioned, uh, Ajax's sister academy, Manchester United. After Ali at the wheel, then Ralph Rangick trying to revitalize the club with Ronaldo coming back last year. They decide whole new direction. We're going to get a proven Champions League contender at manager. And they bring in Eric Ten Hag from Ajax, who is a Dutchman. So it makes sense that he would prefer Dutch players, maybe even people who've played for with him before. But not every single person who's touched Ajax soil. <laughs> they bought Lissandra Martinez at, in, at defense. They, bought, <laughs> they took Christian Eriksen off of free, who formerly played for Ajax. They were trying to get Anthony. They were trying to get Urien Timber. They were trying to get Frankie de Jong, who played for them. And it's mm-hmm. like, all right, Eric, we understand you like your former players. But when does this stop? <laughs> oh, man. How active are you on Twitter? I mean, I think pretty active, right? Pretty, pretty active, yes, sir. Did you did you see Lissandra Martinez just absolutely being lit up this weekend after an opening prem performance where he he did not look big enough to be on our Premier League back line? I think the word that I saw the most was a turnstile. And it would already it would be worse if they didn't already have another turnstile sitting in the center of their backfield uh, <laughs> by the name of Harry Maguire. That's so... the refrigerator himself. <laughs> the refrigerator himself. Yeah, no, I don't even know where to start with this club. You know, being a Prem fan, uh, it's nice to see just because, like, you know, uh, it's they're not competing for titles every year. And they're a big club. You know, I'd, I'd be absolutely remiss if I tried to tell you anything otherwise. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like a Barcelona where, you know, to see him squirm a little bit, like, I'm okay with that. And But once again, I think it was a, it was a complete culture thing. I mean, you saw Sir Alex Ferguson leave, you know, five, six, seven years ago. And uh, that club really just never recaptured, like, the championship pedigree that form that uh and it was it was a lot of what arsenal had to deal with when uh arson wagner left i mean you know when you're when you're having to rededicate a whole culture uh you know i think it just takes more than a few big signings bringing people back or whatever the case may be it just it takes more and um i was just thinking that in that team you just still don't see the pedigree you know you still don't because i thought bruno finash was gonna do it i thought i thought that he was a big enough name he carried enough weight that you know he could get other young players to come and i thought that that's where their youth was gonna begin and so i was surprised last year to see uh, Cristiano make a return. I felt like that was forced. Prize to see them absolutely struggle. Like, you know, their relationship with Paul Pogba was literally dismal the entire time. On top of that, you know, it's kind of like, I feel like they're kind of resorting to relying on some of the old players that now older players that should have really, really been developed over the last few years and just weren't the Marcus Rashford's of the world. Now there's one on the tip of my tongue that I can't, I can't think of right now. Another attacker up there, but um, yep. Yep. Um, you know, it's people that realistically, like they should be starting in the prim this year, but they should have done it off like three or four years of, of experience as a, you know, starting 11. And they just weren't, you know, because we were forcing players in and out to try to fit a role that, you know, you should have let young people develop. And I think that's the biggest thing in soccer is just not letting your club struggle for a year or two, because that's what happens. I mean, you can look back at it, you know, before City went on like this huge run and before they got big investments, they, they struggled, you know, before Liverpool had Klopp and, you know, redid their system you know they struggled um arsenal a lot of the same way i'm hoping that they can make that turn this year and become a more formidable club and uh, same with chelsea there's just some clubs though that just can't handle the 
thought of like taking a year or two off and rebuilding and uh you know man man use one of them absolutely they're the hype beast of the premier league yeah i mean since ferguson left they brought in jose Mourinho, you know champions league pedigree um has won titles with real madrid who are their immediate signings zlatan romelu yep. lukaku paul pogba and you thought, oh, this team's going to be legit. This looks like a FIFA ultimate team yep. ready to go. It's harder than that. You, you, there's a mesh that you want with your team. The, the teams that are succeeding more now are ones that grow up in the same system. Or you mm-hmm. buy them young and then you develop them into what you're working with. I mean, that's why you're seeing the Bayerns. Man City now, most of their players, they signed years ago. The ones that are blossoming most. And then they're just filling in the pieces they need. not the entire team uh you know and even even tottenham to an extent you know i've liked their business in the last year and and what they've done as much as it you know pains me to say that like you know they they found a system they have their veterans and i feel like they're doing what they need in, in buying young talent and cultivating you know the right the right system and so it's just something that it's depressing sometimes to look at in a man U sense and in a barcelona sense and things like that because you know i just think that if their their board was in a little bit better place or you know something of that nature i think that they'd make more i don't know educated and culture driven maneuvers I was trying to think of an analogy for Manchester United. I think the best one would be they are Texas football. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and it's interesting now, too, with Manchester United is that the, since they didn't make Champions League last year, teams are rejecting to go to Manchester United. Oh, yeah. And if you told someone that 20 years ago, that would be insane that someone is you know listed as interested by Manchester United, and they're not immediately biting at it. Mm-hmm. That would just be an insane thing to tell someone from the past. I think it's more deserving of where Man United is because of how knee-jerk their decisions are. Now they are reaping in the consequences of less financial indiscretion versus they don't, they're not approaching it from a solid football perspective. With the game evolving the way it is, you can't just add a Ronaldo on your team and then immediately win the Champions League. I mean, that was proven with Juventus. Yeah. I mean, they were good, don't get me wrong, but they never made it to the finals even. Did they even make it to the semifinals? Like, uh, I don't believe so, no. Right. They lost because even the year that uh, they had that huge, I think it was a, it was a Ronaldo bicycle. No, that was when he was at Real Madrid playing Juventus. But, it, it was like, a comeback hat trick. In, yes, that yeah, was it. Mm-hmm. In the knockout round. And still couldn't get it done. And so it takes the system at this point. You know, if you want to be a, a top club in world football, like it just, it's a dedicated system. And I think it's funny as well that Ronaldo spends one year at Man United. You think it's going to be the greatest thing of all time. And then they make Europa League. And then he tries to force a move the immediate summer after. Right. Honestly, I mean, that's just sad, too, because honestly, I mean, I, I was always a bigger fan of Ronaldo than Messi. And so it's tough to see him at this point in his career, like week one, not starting the prim. Like, that's insane to me. You know, you have that on your bench, like can bring him in the 60th when they're down 2-0. Like, what difference does that make? You know, like, yeah, starting Erickson up top. Yeah. And like, don't even get me started on that signing. Like, why? He's got a heart condition. I mean, I'm not holding that against him, but it's like when you're looking to match people with Bruno in the middle, like, is is Erickson really the right maneuver? And considering they play the same position? Yeah. Like, what? Why do you need him? At the same time, I think it has a lot to do with what you're saying, though. And it's it's people not wanting to go there anymore. 
you know, you can't, I, I think a couple of years back, uh, Frankie de Jong's an easy ad, you know, and you're not batting an eye. You see that news, that transfer news in the market and you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And then now it's like, you know, he's looking at the situation. I don't think he wants to go there. And why? Because like, what are they playing for this year? Right. Europa League, just for your own personal brand as a footballer, is so small in comparison to what Champions League brings in, just in exposure alone. Oh, yeah. So That's what I've been the most surprised about Arsenal, too. I think that's what's uh, the big part of Ronaldo, why he wants to move so bad, is that I think him not being in Champions League hurts his personal brand so much, and that's always been number one for Cristiano. Oh, yeah. So I would actually like to see him go back to his boyhood club uh, and go back to sporting. That would be nice. I've heard a lot of news about that, and I think they're, I think they're playing Champions League football this year. They and, are, but um, I think they're, they're, really very, cool. they're very hesitant to do it because when you pick up Ronaldo, everything has to run through him. You, oh, know, yeah. you have All to throw you. your old system out, and then the new system has to be give ball to Ronaldo. And I think that's where you see Real Madrid, some of the younger guys who played with Cristiano, they are struggling now when he leaves the team because all they know how to do is give ball to Ronaldo. Yeah. You know, that's why Dybala never took off. He was going to be, I thought he was going to be a superstar of world-class football. And then he they is. pick up Ronaldo. <laughs> and then he, you just never hear from, he just doesn't know no, how to play. This year. This year. No, I, I promise that. This is probably the biggest come up I'm watching all year. And it's Dybala at Roma with Mourinho. I couldn't be more excited because last year they made a huge, huge stride. Jose did such a good job. And with Tammy Abraham, too, he made him a name again. You know, when he was at Chelsea and like, you know, they got rid of him. Like, I was like, OK, kiss him goodbye. Because like he had come up, he was this 22 year old in the prim, you know, probably going to develop into a good striker. And after one tough year, everyone gave up on him in the prim. Him. And he goes to Roma, has a phenomenal year under under Jose, and I just think that you know Mourinho finally found a home. He's he's kind of out of that spotlight again. He's gotten the players he needs to now, and like I just couldn't be more excited for what Roma's got cooking. As a club, I love what they've done, but as a Tottenham fan on the side of being a Bayern fan, I Jose kind of rubbed me the wrong way, <laughs> which is you know to each their own. I mean, you, yeah. you either love him or you hate him. There is no in-between with him. Exactly, because he just says whatever, you know? Yeah. So you've been mentioning your club, Arsenal. How do you feel about oh, yeah. your Gooners? I know you've been itching to I talk mean... about them. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I try to I try to be as candid as possible. Um, I told you a few years back, you know, I think we had a podcast and maybe 2020, it might have been the beginning of 2021. And, and I told you 2023, that was the year. And it still hasn't changed because, you know, the, really? the plan's gone according to schedule. We got the players out that we needed to get out. Aubameyangs, the Ozil, Kolasinac. I mean, everyone that just, it was just remnants, remnants of a culture that no longer existed at Arsenal. The fact that you get the younger signings and the people that were going to develop into a culture. It all started with, I think it's tough to say, but I, I think Odegaard. You know, being able to go secure him from Real Madrid. Um, I was so that was huge. when he signed on a permanent. Right? Like, and, <laughs> and as everyone should have been. Because, like, once again, this is something that I don't know how we did it. You know, not playing any European football. Uh, to go in and get the likes of Thomas Partey, uh, an elite, you know, defensive midfielder from Atletico. Didn't think he was going to want to come here. You know, and then you mix it with the homegrown talent, Smith Rowe, Saka, you know, the attacking front set. And then we go out and thank God uh, Real Madrid wasn't able to buy Gabriel Jesus because I think they probably 
could have, you know, they were out of international spots outside of Europe. Being able to bring a polished attacker to a young front surrounded, you know, by Odegaard, Saka, Martinelli, and then, you know, Smithrow and Ketia, other people that have been homegrown. There's a strong, strong culture in that club now. And that's honestly more so what I'm excited about. You know, I think we finished top four this year. I don't think that's a stretch. Last year, you know, I said that and I think it was a little bit of a stretch, but there we were. We ended up at, you know, five, six, I think. I think five, you know, right, right behind Tottenham. And so, you know, it wasn't something that I was particularly disappointed about. Obviously I want to be in Champions League football, but you know, I think we need another year. And I think this year is the year you're going to see them, you know, strongly, strongly challenged for top four. I think it's going to be an absolute dogfight uh, for those three through five, three through six positions, uh, you know, with Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal. And honestly, I think the only team that didn't make a good progression was Chelsea. And so, but I, I'm just so pleased with what I see, you know, through the club at Arsenal, through, you know, and then not only that, Aaron Ramsdale being in goal, like he's been a, a breath of fresh air. I'm excited, man. This year's a finally a year where I feel comfortable enough to, you know, wear the Arsenal badge everywhere I go. And if people want to talk shit, you know, they're going to do it. <laughs> I mean, that's me, but. Amen. <laughs> hey, 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 I, mean, I love it. I welcome as it. much as I would love to, to like crap on Arsenal, which I have throughout pretty much however many episodes we've done in soccer on this podcast this is the first time that i'll look at the team and i'll say oh that's not bad <laughs> that's that's pretty good right um the right. only part that i'm still stuck on is granite Xhaka, and that's 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 all i got yeah i don't i don't love it <laughs> and, and the fact that yes, the fact of the matter is is like i know he's going to cost us two premier league games this year where he's going to get a red card against a liverpool or a chelsea <laughs> oh, you know it. And i'm, I'm going to lose my damn mind but at the same time everything i've seen through watching like all or nothing reports on twitter you know seeing beat writers write about the about the club uh he just means so much to the locker room and it, it kind of freaks me out like I, I don't really get it but like i get it i guess does that make sense sure as as hope, I, hope that, yeah, I hope there is a reason <laughs> why he's still starting for you day day one of a super Sunday. Nah, but honestly, the the biggest thing is is the back line. You know, getting back uh, William Saliba from France. You know, someone who literally was young player of the year over there last year, uh, League One top defensive player. Uh, to get him back and add him to Gabriel Magalhães and and Ben White, like you know how we've now framed it is we're running a back three. We've got five across the mid, uh, you know, Zolinchenko on the left side, Sok on the right, and then, you know, three in the mid of, of uh, Xhaka Parti, Odegaard. I think that it's it's also solidified the defense because I'll tell you what, like last week, there were a few times where we faced pressure defensive in and it was never any, like I never felt like there was a clean enough look where I was like worried, worried. And like, that's Palace. Like Vieira last year put together a good team. Uh, and he put together a good side and, and Zaha is still a, a premier player in the league and I just felt like he was a non-factor and so I'm excited to see just just pure excitement to see how that this continues to transition and it's crazy that the Arsenal board has been so patient with Arteta understanding that hey we know you just took over this club we understand that there is a culture mismatch going on between the previous coach and you so we're going to wait for you, let you get your players over time, let you build a system. Now, I think, is the time where you're going to reap benefits from it. Whereas Man United is, oh, it's been two years and you've only managed fourth as your best. Sorry, there's the door. We're going to get someone else in. Yeah. And Chelsea's kind of the same because I think they're, you know, I thought they made like really good strides, but they kind of appear to be in shambles again. Takes time, man. Takes time to develop what you want. I think winning Champions League put Chelsea back a lot, actually. Well, as it should. It was a Mickey Mouse ring. They didn't deserve <laughs> it. 
So would you say the Bayern one was a Mickey Mouse one, or? Well, I mean, I mean they they played. The, <laughs> I mean, it depends who you ask. No, I don't think so. You know, because they also had a run. And correct me if I'm wrong, but like you know, we saw a lot of big names get injured in the knockout stages of the year that they did win it. And and of course, you can never really rely on Neymar to suit up a whole game. I don't. I'm, that's just don't even get me started on that. And then um, I'm pretty sure that was also the year that we saw some some injuries uh, happen to Liverpool and Real Madrid too. And so, but I'll never, I just think, I always mock Chelsea's Mickey Mouse ring just because it came in COVID. You know, anytime you're playing not in front of a crowd, I think in soccer that it makes the biggest difference. Like, you know, you looked at like the NBA bubble and even some NFL games and things like that with limited capacity. And I don't think it makes that big of a difference, but like you take the, you take the fans out of the prem and like those games are different. That's fair. I'm still claiming that uh, the Bayern title, I think that was a fair one. Just yeah. because you had a fully healthy PSG versus Bayern. Two, two of the best teams in, in that year in Champions League played each other, given it wasn't against with an empty stadium. Um, but I'm going to hang my hat on that, but I'm biased. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame I'm you. very biased to that. But ch- for Chelsea, hey, yeah. though, it, it was weird. They did that whole run without a reliable striker. I mean, they tried to get yeah. Timo Werner, and then he got the the yips or whatever you want to call it, because he he was dominant in Bundesliga. RB mm-hmm. Leipzig, he was he was second in the league behind Lewandowski for years in scoring, and then he switches over to Chelsea, and then he can't hit a net. Well, and see, but that was the thing too. I was worried about Holland because, like, if you look at like some of the big names that have come over from the Bundesliga, like I, I look at two in particular: Werner and then Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. You know, Aubameyang was an absolute animal. For Dortmund and you know comes over and doesn't make the splash in the prem like you'd want him to and Werner was a lot of the same way you know he was I think because it's forced I think you're forced into a slower kind of football you're forced into a much more I wouldn't say tactically driven but a much more physical brand of ball oh for sure but that's where I think Holland does fit is you know he's a big body mm-hmm. and I think you know he's a little bit different from a Werner and a Bamiang in a sense where not only is he fast and has like the physical capabilities but like he's also got the body to back it up yeah your two examples they are just straight burners where they're yeah. going to run past you and where you're getting bodied up every so often I think that that does definitely hurt so off the heels of the Chelsea winning this Champions League with Timo Werner as their most reliable number nine I mean, they did buy Kai Havertz that year. They have one of the best midfield in the Premier League. So they they buy Romelu Lukaku for 100 million euro. (laughs) Brilliant move. He has a rather rough season switching back to the Premier League where he struggled originally. And then so they loan him back to Inter Milan, the same club they bought him from the season after, essentially taking a $100 million loss on a player that they thought was going to take them to the next level. I'm doing air quotes for audio only listeners. Um, but even this year, I've been feeling that anytime Chelsea was rumored to somebody, the media would leak it and then it would get struck down by the club just so fast. Like the, the social media intern for Chelsea is like photoshopping all these jerseys on players and then they, they just never use it. <laughs> well, bro, have you heard? I heard an interesting piece of news today that the number nine jersey is cursed at Chelsea. What in the past? What twenty years? They haven't had a stable one. <laughs> exactly. Uh, they they outlined like the last five going back to I think it was like Fernando Torres and like all of the names are people that either came, spent a brief window there and had no success and left, or people that just didn't work out in general. And it's it's just wild to me. I think that's where you just retire the number. Yeah. It's like when the it's like when the Red Sox buried the jersey in Yankee Stadium kind of thing. 
Yep. I got to do something. Yeah, you got to do something. You got to do something to fix the extraterrestrial forces at work right now. Amen. But this Amen. year, so they add Raheem Sterling. I mean, it seems kind of an extra because they have pretty solid wingers as is. All that does is pretty much tell Christian Pulisic that he's not going to play. They add Kaladu Koulibaly, who's 30 years old, and they're pairing him up with Thiago Silva, who's 37, 38 years old. Yeah. And then they add Mark Cucurella. If you weren't familiar with this unnecessary drama, it's pretty hilarious. Man City was originally interested in Cucurella to replace Zinchenko's spot at left mm-hmm. back. They send a bid to Brighton. Brighton doesn't like the valuation of it. They're saying, hey, you're $10 million off. We want $10 million more. Man City was like, no, we he wants to come here, so we'll, we'll, we'll keep our price tag. So that that basically got put on the kibosh like that. That transfer is not happening. Then Chelsea tries to swoop in from the top rope to say, oh, we want Cucurella. We'll match that valuation that Brighton puts forward. Okay, fair. You know, the, the, the typical Chelsea thing is try to release news before it happens. They put out an official, you know, Fabrizio Romano, one of the most reputable media oh, yeah. outlets for transfer news says Cucurella to Chelsea is done deal. Brighton comes out. Brighton's Twitter account comes out and says, there is no deal. We have not agreed a transfer fee. Please wait for an official statement. They reject Chelsea's proposal after that for their original valuation, say pay us 12 and a half million more. Golly. So that does Chelsea it, does it kind of feel like over. Chelsea's grasping at straws? Does it? It feels like a lot of a Barcelona. It feels like a Barcelona desperation. It really does, and for Chelsea, I don't quite understand it. Uh, Other than think... the, the shady ownership between the Russian oligarch that formerly owned the team and was forcibly had to sell it after all <laughs> that interesting stuff that happened in Eastern Europe. After he had to sell the team, there was just been this like aura of players just don't want to go there anymore, which is weird because they just won the Champions League. It was not that long ago. It was mostly the same squad, same coach. I mean, you just you look at you look at the destinations, though, you know, in the prim and where you have the choice of going. And I just think that it's just it's not appealing. You know, and kind of like you said, there's a lot of good players there. And you kind of wonder, like, why is why are things not working out? Honestly, that's why I think they had to go get a Raheem Sterling, because, like, at least, you know, by adding him, you're adding consistent Premier League minutes. You know, he wasn't someone who is, you know, struggled with injury throughout his career. You know, as much as I don't love him, like he knows how to put the ball in the back of the net pretty professionally. Someone that I feel like fits the fits the prim a lot better than a lot of the players that they've tried to go out and grab over the last few years. Cause like, as much as I'd love to say like Pulisic is someone that is still going to turn into something like I have my doubts, you know, he, <laughs> I don't know if his body's hanging out in the premier league or hanging, hanging in there. And so it'll be interesting to see kind of, you know, how that progression of that team goes, because it just feels like, you know, right now they're having to make moves to get people to forget about the ownership situation. And then, you know, not only that, it's, you know, a lot of the moves that are being accepted that are finally getting are just not, they're not painting out. They're not fitting into how they need to be playing. It's tough, man. I just find it really strange that, they feel like Barcelona, but they don't have any of the issues that they do. Right. <laughs> and I mean, well, they're, and... they're and they're great at developing young talent. Getting, like Mason Mount has developed into one of the best midfield scorers in the league already. He's only like 22. 
he, he was homegrown. I mean, it, it's really strange well, to me. I mean, but they're still kind of recovering some from some huge moves because you they spent after uh, Liverpool signed Allison. Allison was the most expensive goalkeeper in the Prem. Chelsea went out and made a splash, and a lot of people forget about it. They bought Kepa. And they spent – when they bought Kepa, then he was the most expensive goalie in the Prem. And you're talking about they replaced that dude within, I think, a year and a half with with Mendy. There's a huge loss on the books. Lukaku, another huge loss on the books. I mean, ever since winning a Champions League, it's like they went out and made some splashes, but, like, they're just not paying out. So I think that they're facing a lot more financial hardship than the club will put out there, and especially with the management turning over and everything. And so, like, I just think that they do a better job of keeping their business out of the news. I think that's something that, you know, Barcelona, and when your league only consists of you know, three or four teams max, whereas like the prim consists of, you know, a top six and then you've got some filler clubs that can still make a splash. I think it's a lot easier to kind of go under the radar uh, when it comes to how much you are struggling. This is true. The only thing that they're not private about sharing is their interest in transfer players. Like they were supposed to be getting Kaunde, they were supposed to be getting Rafinha, Lewandowski, allegedly, apparently all close to signing. You know, and I wonder how much of that is is what you can manufacture, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's a pretty interesting part of European football is like the storylines are kind of actually manufactured by the clubs. That's kind of what I've figured out, you know, and leaking news here and there to see kind of what sticks. I'd say it's one of the most smokescreen sports out there. Yeah. You know how they do that for uh, the NFL draft is also a big, big contender with that. Telling you Aiden Hutchinson's a, a lock for number one for seven months and then Trayvon Walker just comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a lot of the same thing, you know, handling or, you know, manufacturing these storylines, seeing how they progress in the media, seeing what hits, seeing how it affects the players. And that, a lot of that is huge because I think Ronaldo alluded to it, you know, Cristiano about a couple of months ago. He was like, you know, that's what soccer is, is like manufactured news lines. The amount of vetting that I have to do just on Twitter alone, it spells it out pretty well for me. <laughs> oh, it took me two years to find Fabrizio Romano and like actually trust him. You know, like, <laughs> all right, Adam. Well, let's, uh, what, what other teams we got that we want to talk about? I mean, I am middling expectation on right now is Tottenham as decent of a trend as they're going on with Conte over Spirito Santo. So when they started the year with him and were miserable, and then Conte kind of turned them around, took them a while to get settled. Um, then there were a bunch of rumors where, well, he's is he going to resign? Does he want a bigger job? Does he want a, more money? Which Tottenham usually doesn't spend. And then he comes <laughs> back, which was the biggest shock to me because I thought he was easy hop over to Real Madrid or, but then they, so they have a, a transfer window that is okay. I would give it a solid five out of 10 of everyone they picked up. The one transfer that I think was way more important was when they got Dehan Kulisevsky. Decky is a certified baller, and I'm so glad that Juventus let him go. That's what I've been waiting to talk about. Like, Kulisowski's so good. I hate it. I, I hate love it so watching much. him play. It makes watching him and Harry Kane fun. Because Harry Kane, mm-hmm. by himself, is not a fun person to watch play football. He's not. He's a poacher. <laughs> Which but is you, fine. You, you need with, those. 
but well i mean and with sun it's worked you know mm. that like they've had enough speed and, and whatnot in the past that like that that kind of play has worked and but i think as you get into much much more how would you say defined competition you know because i think if there's anything that uh people talk about all the time never let tottenham fans forget about is, is the trophy count and i think you look at you know like a harry kane and he differs from you know a lot of the strikers that you do see win trophies because i think they (laughs) (laughs) we didn't have to but i think it explains the culture because i'm about to i'm about to give you a lot of compliments because like you know on the in the last year i like as much as i hate to say it like there's a lot of good signings and kulichevsky that brings a lot into the midfield uh ivan perisic like i absolutely love that guy like uh, i think he brings some spice to the midfield that's needed and then not only that i mean you go out and you make some you make some young splashes you get basuma richarlson like you know i think that they're they did what they needed to because they have a they still have a divine culture of son and kane and then you know and not only to forget you know Hugo Lloris in the in the net. I mean that he's also absolutely you know he's a phenomenal goalkeeper and so um I just think they've made enough moves and I I think that this is a very dangerous team and I think what what uh, Conte was just trying to get done was to see if the team would buy into his system to see if the club would buy into the moves he wanted and after he got them to finally buy in uh, you know I think that that's where you finally see him accomplishing what he wants to on that team sheet. I think the the documentary that they had about them under Mourinho was a couple years out of it would be much more interesting to have Conte's locker room. Oh yeah. Or a lot, I mean, it would be a lot less drama and controversy. So I guess it would be less interesting on a TV's perspective, but as a fan, I think it would be much more interesting to be in this dressing room than previous ones, especially with all the news that, you know, last year it was all about, is Harry Kane going to get picked up by Man City? And everyone was worried about, you know, the hallmark player, the guy who has every single record, for Tottenham Hotspur now, and he's only 29. The fact that he would leave, you know, the captain of England is going to leave for Manchester City. I think there was a lot of fear from fans that, well, if he leaves, then we can't even get a good coach to sign with us because no one wants to pick up a project where you lose the best player is gone. Well, and I think that that was a, a lot of what like Tottenham had to defeat. They had to make sure that over the last year they weren't going to be a Man U or a Chelsea, you know, and and have that like kind of uh, unknown, just just unknown presence because you had a lot of things in the mix. You've now gone through, you know, three managers and you know four or five year turnaround. You've been able to keep you know your staples of the club. Like I thought Harry Kane was going to leave multiple times over the last few years, <laughs> yet he keeps buying in. And so like I think that last year was a huge turning point because they won big games. You know, they started off the year really hot beating a Man City side. Actually, they Man City did not beat Tottenham last year. I'm, I, I'm almost I think I saw that the other day, like they didn't beat Tottenham. And I was like, wait, what? Like, yeah. Man City beat everyone. <laughs> and so, like, you know, it's like you had I think you have a, a side that the talent's there and everything's there. It's just like they're always just on this edge of like, OK, do we just scrap everything sell everyone and rebuild or like do we keep driving forward and then i think conte brings in that that forcefulness where he's like no listen like give me what i want and i can take this club to where it needs to be i do think that he is the one who pulls them out of mediocrity i do too absolutely no doubt in my mind this year, the, the Premier League sets up to be the, the most fun league in soccer um, because, honestly, like, I'm still kind of teetering. Like, you can't have this many 
just wonderful years in a row for Man City. So I'm like, I'm not going to be the injury guy or say anything like that. But like, for some reason, I think there's just somewhere mid-season, like they're not putting it together. I don't know what it's going to be, but I think Liverpool, their culture strong. I think they're going to, they're top three side regardless. You know, even if injuries do kind of plague them, I think they can do enough just with how they approach the game. And But honestly, I just think you, you have a lot of exciting teams there, you know, new coaches, uh, new visions. And then um, not only that, but like, you know, there's some other, other scrappers in the prim down there that Nottingham forest of the world who went out and spent a ton of money you know just trying to make a splash and so you got a lot of a lot of teams out there the palaces of the world you know who Vieira in charge that's still a good side West Ham arguably still a, a wonderful side you know given the people that they have there it's going to be one of the best leagues to watch in soccer I mean considering like French league is just farm league for everyone except for right. PSG and maybe Monaco <laughs> Bundesliga is incredibly top heavy like the top three and that's basically it. i think they're graduating you know i think uh, i've seen some surprise things in the last two years come out of the bundesliga of, of you know teams that i never considered to be like perennial powerhouses they've done better you I know i think they're and now on they've... par with la liga almost yeah with like i agree it's really just the top three and then you have a couple others and then everyone else and I would say not sleep on the Italian league. You know, this year oh, I think you're going to see a, a lot of fun stuff come out of the Italian league. You know, Milan looks good still. Uh, Roma does exciting things. And, you know, Juve reworked their, you know, I felt like reworked a lot of their team. And so I think it'll be it'll be a fun year and on that side too. And then uh, honestly, just keep watching the American soccer, man. Um, I thought the coolest part of this transfer window was seeing some European clubs loan out players to American teams. To see Lorenzo Insigne come over here, sign, he's already making a splash. I saw a, a ridiculous highlight of him on SportsCenter the other day. And like, you know, to see more talent be cultivated here in America, I think there were three three players that were bought by the Premier League this year uh, from American sides. And I mean, so we like, have, America has its own Premier League side now. It's Leeds. With yeah. Jesse March as the coach, who's American, just bought Brendan Aronson mm-hmm. and Tyler Adams, and he's starting them. Let's go USA. <laughs> yeah, and so a lot happening in soccer, man, but I appreciate you giving me an outlet just to come talk about this stuff. Absolutely, man. It's been a pleasure talking. Appreciate your time, Ryan. That is all the time that we have today. Thank you so much for stopping by, and we will see you next time. 